0: Okay, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Second Kings and uh, chapter 15, and uh, we shall pray and then we'll turn to this uh, portion to pick up from where we left off the last time. Okay, let's just bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again. We thank you for the truth, Lord, that we read in these pages. The Lord, truth that changes us and challenges us. Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to us again. Lord, help us to see from these historical accounts things, Lord, that will have great impact on our lives right now. Uh, Father, may we be mindful that things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. So, Lord, may we learn, may we grow, Lord, as we study these things this morning. We just give you this time and just ask your Spirit to speak to us. Unblock our ears and hearts, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Kings chapter 15 and it begins in the 27th year of Jeroboam king of Israel began Azariah the son of Amaziah king of Judah to reign. Now unless you've been reading this through the week it's been a week since you looked at these names so let me just refresh your memory on where we are. So we had, obviously, a lot of time spent looking at Ahab, uh, king of Israel, and then his descendants and so on. That's the time of Elijah and Elisha and so on. And then we see Jehu come to the throne. He kills Jehoram, the son of um, um, Ahab, and also kills the king of Israel, uh, king of Judah at the same time, but the Lord promises him that four of his descendants, or his descendants, for four generations will sit on the throne and we 're now on the, his um, not his, his son his great grandson now um, Jeroboam um, again, notice the same name as the first king of Israel, so this is now Jeroboam the uh, second, and you'll notice that he reigns for sixty four years um, so we 're twenty seventh year of his reign, and that we 're told it 's during that time. That down south in Judah, we've now got Azariah come to the throne, who is the son of Amaziah. And again, you see this line, all this line going all the way back to King David. So Rehoboam being David's grandson, uh, Rehoboam's father being Solomon and so on. Um, Azariah, the one we're going to be looking at briefly now, um, also is referred to in scripture as Uzziah. Now you'll recognize him from the book of Isaiah. He's uh, used both names, and the names are used kind of interchangeably, even in the portion we'll look at this morning. So, that's the period of history that we're looking at at this particular stage. So, we read then 16 years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned two and fifty years, 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. Now, we've seen this a number of times where we've got kings of whom it said that they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but... And then typically that problem that's explained is they didn't get rid of the high places. They left the possibility of idol worship in their lives. They left it so that the people of the nation could actually so easily slip back into idolatry. And notice that we're told here that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, the point I want to mention here is that he did that. This isn't talking about his heart. He's talking about his actions. Okay? And there's a real challenge here because it, sometimes people can do things that are right, but their hearts may not be in the right place. And that's really kind of the challenge that we're going to just explore for a moment. It's the difference really between external actions and really the attitude of our heart. You see, with David, whilst David did many wrong things in the sight of the Lord, he's commended as being a man after God's own heart. You see, David was a king that made a lot of mistakes, and they're all recorded for us in scripture for for eternity. But his heart was right before God. The difference here is we've got a king that did things that were right, but his heart clearly was not in the right place. He didn't go that extra mile and just get sin out of the way. He just allowed those things to stay. Now, just to look at a couple of portions in the New Testament, we read in Ephesians chapter 4, picking up verse 17, Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated From the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And he goes on and says, Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation. The old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, Paul is speaking to these Ephesian Christians about a radical change of life. Not just doing things now that seem good. This is what the kings of Israel and Judah from time to time did. Although in Israel there was hardly any good kings. In Judah there's more of whom we're told they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But, and then we have those uh, problems mentioned. But what Paul is speaking about for us as believers is not just that we start doing things, but verse 23 again, but that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I mean this is really thinking differently. This is exactly what we find throughout the New Testament. We have, of course, the word repentance. And repentance means to think differently. And as Christians, our lives should be transformed. We should think differently. So there should not only be a change to our external behaviour, there should be, of course, as Christians. And there's many things the Bible speaks about that are not fitting or right for a Christian. But there should also be a change of our internal behavior, a change of our heart, which ultimately will have an impact on the way that we think, the things that we allow into our lives. You see, if we allow those high places to remain, they're going to become a problem at some point in the future. As you carry on looking at uh, Amaziah here, and the Lord smote the king, so that he was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house a house separated and Jotham the king's son was over the house judging the people of the land and the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah so Azariah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David and Jotham his son reigned in his stead now that's all that we're given in Kings about this king and we're just told we're not given the details we're just told that God smites him he becomes a leper And, of course, if you didn't know any more than that, you'd be left thinking, well, why did God do that? Wasn't that harsh? Wasn't that a bit unkind? You know, if he did that, which was right in the sight of God, just this one problem of leaving the high places. Well, we need to turn to Chronicles to see a little more of this king. And we just read in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, speaking of verse 3, 16 years old was Uzziah, the same king, Azariah, Uzziah, when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was um, Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Interestingly, her name, these ladies actually, they're very interesting, all of them seem to have godly names, these kings of um, Judah. And her name just means Jehovah will enable. It's an interesting name. You know, there was no excuse for her son to fail because Jehovah will enable. There's no excuse for us to fail because God has promised us his grace. Jehovah will enable us to live in victory, to walk by faith, to not sow to the flesh, and all these things. We can do that not by our decision to do it, but by God's grace. You know, Many of us go through years of our lives trying to figure out how we can overcome sin. And we try and we think we've got it and then we fall and fail. And then we pick ourselves up and we try again and then we fall and fail. And so on and so on. Until we come to that place of realizing we cannot do it but by grace. And you start to realize just how incredible this grace of God is. That gives you the power and the ability to do something that naturally you can never do. That's what God's grace is about. You see, And God has engineered it this way. So that we can't claim any glory It wasn't because we were determined or had a strong will. None of that matters. Because none of us have got a will that is strong enough, a heart that is determined enough to overcome sin. We just can't do it. But God's grace gives us the power to do something that is just not natural. There's a supernatural power within us. And we need each day to go to God and ask for that grace. So this king could have Succeeded. He could have been a good and godly king. As his mother's name implies, Yahweh will enable. But we're told, verse 4, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Again, we see that. According to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. What a wonderful testimony that is. But notice that there's a godly man around this king. And how we need godly influences around us. The danger when we don't allow those godly influences. Or when we allow influences into our lives that are not helpful. And that may be TV. That may be friends who are not Christians. That can be all sorts of things that can get in and creep in and befriend us. But this king, all the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, this man who had a real heart for the things of God. And all the time the king is around this man, he seeks God and as a result of that, God makes him to prosper. But then we carry on. And we pick up verse 16 of Second Chronicles 26. And we read, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah, the priest, went in after him and with him, four score priests, 80 priests of the Lord that were valiant men. We'll come back in a moment just pick up from there. But notice here, that it's when his heart was strong. God had blessed him. God had given this man a wonderful kingdom. He inherited this wonderful line that had gone back to the famous King David, he was part of that family. And now God had blessed him. And suddenly he looks at those blessings and thinks, huh, look what I've done. Look at what I've achieved. You know, we must never allow that to be the way it is for us. It's not about us achieving anything. Anything that is achieved is done by God's grace. Or it has no value. When his heart. So when he was strong, his heart was lifted up, notice, to his destruction. Pride once again. Such a dangerous thing. And uh, notice that he's not a a priest. We know that uh, David, being of the tribe of Judah, this line that comes down to Jesus, but only the Levites were allowed to go into the temple and offer. But he does something similar to that which Saul had done, Saul being of the tribe of Benjamin. And he goes and makes an offering. Feeling himself worthy, appointed. But he's self-appointed, not of God. And he goes and offers altar on the sacrifice. The priest then chase him in. And we're told that these 80 and plus the high priest go in. They withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. It's not your job, they say, but to the priest, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. And this was God's decree to the nation. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honour from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. This man, unwilling to listen to this priest that comes to speak to him, to give God's word to him. As a result, he ends up getting this leprosy. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out. He's pretty keen to get out of there himself, because the Lord had smitten him. I mean, he, he never thought this through, did he? He hadn't stopped to think that he was intruding upon an office that was not his. He was doing something that he'd not been called to do. I don't doubt he was zealous. I don't doubt there was enthusiasm. I don't doubt that he thought he was right. But God hadn't called him to do this. And Isaiah the king, we're told, was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, again as a house separated according to the Levitical commandments and rules regarding leprosy, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. I mean, no longer can he come back to the house of the Lord. I mean, this is quite a traumatic thing for him as he suddenly realizes the situation that he's placed himself in. And Jotham his son was over the king's house judging the people of the land. What a tragic situation. How tragic for the nation as well. As they're looking upon their king, the one that they thought was their leader that they looked to. And again, we've got a kingdom that's going really well at this stage. He'd been blessed. He'd been made strong. (laughs) And then because of his pride, he ends up in this situation. Doing something that God had not called him to do. And as a result, God's judgment comes upon him. And that, for the rest of his life, precludes him from coming into the house of the Lord. Yeah, you know, Lots of lessons of the danger of pride again. Let's jump back then to 2 Kings. because I put that in because it's so helpful to see a little bit more of that picture of why God allowed this leprosy upon this king you realize, again, there's more to the situation than maybe we'd see first off. So let's pick up Second Kings 15, verse 8. And then we read, In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign over Israel in Samaria six months? And so now we move up to the northern kingdom again. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. No surprise there. That's what they've all been doing. As his fathers had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. It's becoming a common refrain, isn't it, this? And Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and smote him before the people and slew him and reigned in his stead. It's kind of... a It's a dodgy kind of occupation, isn't it, to be a king of Israel. You know, kings of Judah, they had this promise that God was going to establish the throne of the line of David. Even then, some of them were were killed. But up in Israel, in the northern kingdom, as they've just walked away from God, it's a kind of a treacherous uh, business. And we wrote the rest of the Acts of Zechariah. Behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. This was the word of the Lord which he spoke unto Jehu, saying, Thy son shall sit on the throne of Israel until the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. Once again, let's just look at that map or the the chart of the kings of Israel. So we see Jehu, his four sons. Jeroboam has passed off the scene. Zechariah comes to the throne. And as God had promised... Four generations of Jehu's sons sit on the throne, but Zechariah only for six months months—a very short reign. And yet, we then see this individual conspire against him, Shalom, and just for one month, he's the king. Until he's then put to death, we'll see in a moment, um, and Menahem uh, then comes to the throne uh, following on. So that's where we are. Let's move on. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the ninth and thirtieth year of uh, Uzziah, king of Judah, And he reigned a full month in Samaria. There's not going to be an awful lot we can say about this king. For Menemum the son of Gadi went up from Terza and came to Samaria and smote Shalom the son of Jabesh in Samaria and slew him and reigned in his stead. the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy, because really that's about all we have in one month of reigning, um, which he made. Behold, they're written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Then... Uh, Menahem smote Tifesh and all that were therein, and the coasts thereof from uh, Terza, because they opened not to him. Therefore he smote it, and all the women therein that were with child he ripped up. Now that's quite a harrowing verse to read. Um, Just try and give you some of the, the understanding and the background here. So, um, this king of Israel, the northern kingdom that comes to the throne, um, smites this place called uh, Tifesh. Um, now, that was on the west bank of the Euphrates River. So, it's outside of kind of Israel's territories we would tem- tend to consider it. It was the furthest extent of the border of Solomon's kingdom. Um, back in First Kings four twenty four, it alludes to Solomon's kingdom stretching up to this point in terms of going east. Um, and it was a, quite a, a pivotal place in terms of from a power struggle point of view. This place had been taken by Hazel, king of Syria. Uh, it had been regained by Jeroboam, um, who saw this as a very important city. It was one of his greatest conquests when Jeroboam uh, had been on the throne. Just a few kings previous, as we looked a moment ago. Um, but when he gets there to try and reclaim this city for Israel what we find is that the inhabitants refuse him to, to come in. They lock the gates, they don't let him in. Um, so as a result of that, he attacks the city. And yes, he kills the women, he kills the children, kills the pregnant women, and so on. Now, of course, this is not uncommon uh, when we look historically at some of the, the battles and fights that took place um, a long time ago, because it was a way of weakening the nation. If you can get rid of the children, then the next generation becomes very weak and powerless and so it was a very common way that a a king that was coming in to exert his authority would try and get rid of the children interestingly enough in the world we live in today um, the secular humanists are trying to do the same thing of course they're not killing our children but they're trying to indoctrinate them Of course, if our children in schools can be indoctrinated and they can feed evolution and they can feed all these various um, ideas and philosophies and thoughts about um, what type of relationships are normal, then of course the children grow up weak and without any real foundation. And then anything goes And it becomes just chaos. Of course, God's word gives us very clear guidance and rules. But there's no secret that the world, and of course Satan is behind this, would love to corrupt children's minds. And that's why we need to continually be praying for the children that we have in the fellowship here. You know, and 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 particularly for Christian children across the country, that they don't get influenced by these things that the world would bring in. That the next generation for the Lord becomes strong. You know, we don't know how long it will be before the Lord returns, and uh, looking at the things going in the world, probably not that long. But there may well be yet another generation that will come that they need to know the Lord. They need to know the Word of God and they need to understand and be discerning to see that God's word will give them truth whereas the world will typically just feed them lies and misinformation and disinformation just to mention also though that this act by Menahem uh, killing the women and the children and so on was done in a time of war and conquest today, killing unborn children is done purely as a matter of convenience you know, we read this sentence in Kings here and elsewhere. There's things like this in the Bible. And our natural reaction is kind of one of horror, rightly so. You know, it's a horrible thing that took place. But that was in a time of war. You know, and all around us in this country, children are being killed in the place where they should be most safe, inside their mother's womb. Let's move on. Verse 17. In the ninth and thirtieth year of Azariah, king of Judah, began, began Amenahem, the son of Galilee, to reign over Israel and reigned ten years in Samaria. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And Paul, the king of Assyria, came against the land. Now this is the first time now we see these kind of, um, this, this army from Assyria coming now. And we're going to see this become more and more of a problem and a threat. And Israel at this point, Judah, are kind of going through kind of an Indian summer in a sense of the peace. Syria as a, as a kingdom has been weakened tremendously by the rise of Assyria. So, Syria becoming weaker, Assyria growing in strength. Israel kind of in the middle, so they're enjoying now not having the same kind of problems they were having uh, with Syria. There's still a few to come, but most of those things now are, uh, are being kind of dealt with. Um, but now this king of Assyria uh, comes into the land. And we notice that Menahem bribes him, basically. He gave Paul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to confirm the kingdom in his hand. Of course, at this point, Paul, the king of Assyria, is gradually building his own empire. So actually a little bit of extra cash to fund the things he's doing is not a bad thing. And of course, he can always come back for Israel later, which is exactly what we'll see happen. So we are looking at Menahem. We're going to go on and look at his son in a moment. And Menahem exacted the money of Israel, even of all the mighty men of wealth. I wrote that one down well. It's just great taxes being applied and, on them and just taking money off them. Um, of each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So he makes his promise he's going to give the king the money. Then he goes to all the rich men of the land and says, <laughs> you need to pay. So the king of Assyria turned back and stayed not there in the land. And the rest of the acts of Menahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? It's interesting, isn't it, that because he's already rejected God, now he's put in this position where this king of Assyria is coming, and he's got only one thing he can rely on, and that is money. He's got nothing else. He's got no real power or might or strength or anything. Outside of God, he's reduced to even money that he doesn't have. Of course, we should see in our own lives that with Christ, we can do all things. But outside of God, outside of a relationship with God, we have nothing. And when problems arise, with what are we going to pay? So we're told that Menahem slept with his father's son. Pekahiah. his son, reigned in his stead. So in the 50th year of Azariah, down in Judah... Pekahiah, up in the north, the son of Menahem began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigns just two years. He did that was evil, which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Debat, who made Israel to sin. But uh, Pekah, the son of Romalia, a captain of his, conspired against him and smote him in Samaria, in the palace of the king's house, with Argob and Aria, uh, and with him fifty men, of the Gileadites and he killed him and reigned in his rooms. Another king in the north is killed and somebody else steps in. And the rest of the acts of uh, Pekehiah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. In the two and fiftieth year of Azariah, king of Judah, so Azariah is still on the throne down south at this point. Uh, He hasn't yet uh, died from his leprosy. Um, Pekah the son of uh, um, Romalia began to reign over Israel in Samaria and reigned 20 years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Debat, who made Israel to sin. In the days of Pekah, Israel, king, Pekah king of Israel, came Tilgath um, pileser king of Assyria. So this is now the next king of Assyria. And uh, took Ijon and Abel-Beth-Machah, and Jonah, and Kadesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Nathalie, and carried them captive to Assyria. Now, the kingdom isn't taken at this point, but many of the people of Israel are taken away captive. Now, this is the first deportation of the children of Israel. Now, God had promised this. You read back into Deuteronomy. God had made it very clear that if the people did not obey him, they will be scattered. They will be taken out of their land. And just as have been prophesied, so now we see happening. And this is the first of these occasions. The kingdom will last a little bit longer. But for now, these people, all these towns, particularly the northern area of Israel, are all being taken away captive to Assyria. If you go up to the British Museum, um, you'll see there on the wall uh, various reliefs, you know, these kind of carvings, uh, pictures in a sense Um, and they depict the Assyrian army leading captives away and these were people that typically we understand that the Assyrian army when they led people away they would chain them together but not just typical chains Um, they would literally sew them together so that their ears or their noses would be sewn to the one behind them kind of stops you trying to make a run for it Um, but they led these people away the Assyrians were very cruel uh, in the way they led their captives away Verse 30, we're told, and uh, uh, Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah. I mean, why would you really want the throne at this stage? But anyway, he does. Uh, The son of Romalia smote him and slew him and reigned in his stead in the 20th year of Jotham, son of Uzziah. So that's the next king down south. So now we get to this king here, uh, Hosea, the last king of the northern kingdom. And this will take us up to 722 BC when finally Assyria will come and take away the kingdom, take away everybody from Israel. And then they will replace within the land other deportees from other places that they'd they'd, uh, conquered. And those people in the land, and we'll see this as we move on, became known as Samaritans. They were the people that were placed in the land by the Assyrians. And it was done so that the land wouldn't be overgrown or overrun. But by putting people in who were not part of that land originally, they have no real allegiance to the land. They're just, the kings could keep, or the kings of Assyria could just keep their control over people. And there's a very interesting um, situation that occurs with some lions and so on. And we'll look at that in a a week or two's time. But we just carry on. And the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, behold, they're written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. And in the second year of Pekah, the son of Romalia, king of Israel, began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. So the focus now goes back down south. Five and twenty years old, twenty five years old was when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jerusha. Um, Name them is possessed by or belonging to Jehovah. Uh, It's an interesting and nice name. Um, The daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done, (laughs) howbeit, so you notice again, he did that which was right. So it's all about actions, not necessarily heart. Howbeit the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still in the high places. He built the high gates of the house of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? If we look in Chronicles, we see a little bit of this history. Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. <laughs> so this is a good thing. So he didn't do what Uzziah had done and assume an office that wasn't his. But then we're told. And the people did corruptly. You see, this has been going on so long now with just kings that didn't wholeheartedly follow God. We then end up with the people not following their king. Even if the king at this point is good, the people now go off on a tangent. We're told that he built the high gate of the house of the Lord and on the wall of Ophel he built much. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forest he built castles and towers. So... Kind of some serious building program going on, and we're told he fought also with the king of the Ammonites and prevailed against them. And the children of Ammon gave him the same year a hundred talents of silver and ten thousand measures of wheat and ten thousand of barley. So much did the children of Ammon pay unto him both the second year and the third. So Jotham became mighty because he um, because he prepared his ways before the Lord. What a lovely statement that is. You know, we've seen kings already uh, that didn't have that heart for God. They did the right things, but they didn't have a heart. Now we come to a king who we told that prepared his ways before God. You know, literally, it's saying, kind of he fixed his road before Jehovah. Uh, that's what the uh, the text is. And actually, we've got two names of God there. We've got, whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D in the text, um, it's the the what the Jews would refer to as a tetragrammaton, it's the unpronounceable name of God that we would often translate as Jehovah or sometimes Yahweh. And then we've got the name of God here as well in the Hebrew text, it's Elohim. So this king fixes his path, he establishes his path before Jehovah Elohim. Just reminded of Proverbs 16 verse 3, which tells us to commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts shall be established. This king prepared his ways before God, and God prospers him. Psalm 37 says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and this is exactly what this king is doing. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Again, just committing our way to the Lord <clears throat> and then we're told verse 37 back into 2nd Kings 15 in those days the Lord began to send against Judah resin king of Syria now this is going to be one of Syria's last attacks on Israel um, and Pekah the son of Ramalia, and Jotham slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father and Ahaz his son reigned in his stead now Ahaz is not going to be The good king. Most of this next chapter is just narrative. So let me just read this through to you. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. And just so we see where we are. So we've now moved on from Uzziah, Azariah. Jotham we've just talked about. This is the king that prepared his heart before the Lord. Um, In Chronicles you'll notice though that he's not classed as one of the really good kings, but nevertheless there seems to be some good qualities about this man. But then Ahaz, his son, comes to the throne, and we'll read about him as we go on. So, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father, but walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And they sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So often we find these kings that had a a godly father that just walk away from those things. They've seen the blessing, but they just reject it and go after their own things. Twenty years old. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, yes, that's right. We did that one. And then, pick up verse five. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war. So we find we've got Syria and Pekah. So the king of Israel, so the king of Syria and the king of Israel, now come down to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz. But could not overcome him. Just a quick mention, you'll notice we often find this, they came up to Jerusalem. Now... Sometimes we get frustrated when people talk about geography and you know people say, oh, are you going down to London today? No, no, it's up to London. And, you know, you're going down to Portsmouth. And, you, know, you kind of think of places geographically and you know, often the equator is kind of a, a good benchmark and north and south and so on. Um, the reason in the text we often find you know, go up to Jerusalem because actually if you look at a map, they came down from the north. But Jerusalem was on the top of a mountain. So to get to Jerusalem, you have to geographically go up. Uh, to the top of the mountain. So that's why in scripture you'll find that the case and often referred to going up to Jerusalem. Um, and they besieged Ahaz but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drove the Jews from Elath, and the, Sy- and the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz sent massen- messengers <laughs> to Tilgath Peleza, king of Assyria. And this is surely a bad move, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria. Now we've seen this so many times, and again you see it amplified in Chronicles, where all he had to do was cry out to God. God had saved, you know, so many of the kings of Judah when they'd cried out to him. And God often allowed those things that They would seek him. They would seek God. And they didn't. And here again, he cries out to this Assyrian king and says, I'm your servant. Come up save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. Well, firstly, they weren't his to give. But nevertheless... He gives them as a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria, hearken unto him. He says, Yeah, I'll take that. Thank you. For the king of Assyria went up to Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew Rezin. So that kind of puts an end to the kings of Assyria at this point, as now Assyria swallows them up. And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tilgath uh, Pileser, uh, king of Assyria, and notice, and saw an altar. That was at Damascus. And giving you the editorial version, edited version here, goes, that's nice, I'd like one of them, please. Let me just read the text. He says, uh, saw this altar at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest um, the fashion of the altar, gives him the details of it, the pattern of it, according to all the workmanship thereof. And Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Ahaz um, uh, came from Damascus. So by the time the king gets back, Uriah now made this altar. Just like they seen up in Damascus, a really, really nice altar. And the king thinks, like, yeah, I want me one of those. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. Well, once again, he's a king, he's of the line of Judah, not authorized to offer these offerings, that was for the Levites. And certainly not on an altar that hadn't been given instructions to build by God. This is something that had been used for pagan worship. And clearly he likes it. It was ornate or whatever. And he decides he wants it. So and we're told he burnt his burnt offering and meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he bought also the brazen altar which was before the Lord from the forefront of the house from between the altar and the house of the Lord and put... It on the north side of the altar. So just taking even things of God now, using it for his own pagan sacrifices. And, the, and King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering and the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meat offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle it upon, sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. And the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. So he's using this in a sense for divination. It's not just a case of you know, offering godly sacrifices to seek God. And we're told, thus did Arise the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the laver from off them and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it and put it upon a pavement of stones. Now, if you remember when the um, Moses was commanded to make the furniture for the tabernacle, they made these big brass brazen um, Big dish, big bowl, big bath, basically. And it was used for the priests to wash in. And when we get to the time of Solomon, when Solomon is building the temple, they build this really large, great big bath, this circular bath. And they, they seat it on top of these brazen oxen that were set three aside. Now, this king is just dismantling all of these things. And we're told. And the cover for the Sabbath that they had built in the house and the king's entry without turn from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. So just taking apart everything of God, everything that was of God's in the land. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And by the way, if you want to look in Chronicles, you'll see more of the history of this king. And we're told in verse 20, And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, in Chronicles, uh, 2 Chronicles 28, verse 27, we're told, And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulchre of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. So, yes, he dies as a king in Jerusalem, but he's not honoured by being buried in the place of Israel that his fathers have been buried, because this king, for Judah, was the worst king of the lot, yet. Because he's going to get worse. But, next week, we have some, some good news, because Hezekiah is one of the five really good kings of Judah. And we'll look a little bit about that next week. Let's bow our hearts. Well, Father, thank you for your word again, these lessons that we can learn. And Father, we see with these kings... Will the difference between just doing that which is right and having a heart that is right. And Father, whilst we do want to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord, Father, even more so we want to have a heart that is right. So Father, as David prayed, Lord, we pray this morning to create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us, a steadfast spirit. Lord, help us not to be swayed by the things that go on around us. Not to be, Lord, pulled by the things of this world. Not to seek alliance with the things of this world. Father, if we are under threat, Lord, if we feel the enemy is coming against us, Lord, help us to remember that you are our rock. That, Lord, you would never fail us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And that we can always trust in you. And that, Lord, we should never go to the flesh to seek resolution for any conflicts. But Lord, we come to you. Lord, these are just so many lessons that we just pray you impress them upon our hearts. Speak to each of us, Lord, that we would grow through these things, we pray, in knowledge and grace. So we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.